0: Well, welcome everybody to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I am your host, Dan Caprill, where each and every week we discuss matters of personal finance in a way that I'm going to go on a limb and say other people do not. We're all about simplifying the process here because I think that at the end of the day, personal finance is very simple. It's only as complicated as we want to make it. And too often, it's our own human nature that uh, comes into play. In fact, it was interesting. Earlier this week, somebody was asking me about their their child was going off to college and had an interest in, in being a financial advisor and asked what I thought she should study. And I think I surprised them because I said psychology. <laughs> and they're like, "Are oh, you yeah, your mind?" I said, no, no, no. I would definitely recommend anybody who's looking to do this for a living to, to study psychology because... So much of what we do here is about managing emotions. The actual finance part of it is pretty simple. There's certain principles that stand the test of time. And I think that those can be learned. Some of them certainly can be learned in college, but a lot of them can be learned outside of college. But understanding human nature is a skill that a lot of financial advisors don't have, and they need it because without it, they run the risk of letting their clients make some seriously bad decisions. And uh, a good financial advisor is one who in many ways is more of a behavioralist than anything else. So simplification is a big part of of what it is that uh, that we do. So today I wanna get into some other questions that people have been uh, bringing up as of late and uh, take you through them and give you some insight. And chances are you've had some of these questions yourself. So the first question that I want to discuss today has to do with, uh, in the news, a number of companies have been giving sizable bonuses to their employees in light of changes, recent changes in the tax code. It's unfortunate that not everybody sees it that way. There's, there was one prominent politician who is actually one of the wealthiest members of Congress. In fact, she may be the wealthiest. And she was referring to these $1,000 bonuses that one company was given as crumbs. Now... If you are someone making $10 an hour, I assure you getting a $1,000 bonus is not a crumb. In fact, for people who make a lot more than $10 an hour, $1,000 is not a crumb. So it's unfortunate that politics overshadows good news. But one of the question was, was this going to be a, a short term reaction? Are markets just having a short term reaction to this? Are employers just having a short term reaction to this? Or can we expect to see this going forward? Well, if you listen to this show enough, you know I never try to predict the future. But there are certain things that can be favorable and other things that cannot be. So if you look at the history of taxes, it's an interesting thing because, you know, for many years this country was built on not even having an income tax. And in the 19, early 1900s, that all changed. Now, the first person to question the logic behind high taxes was John F. Kennedy. And he made a very um, important speech to the Economics Club of New York, where he argued that if we would lower tax rates, corporate as well as personal, that that would, in essence, create an economic expansion that would actually increase treasury revenues. So, in other words, would give the government even more money. So, here's a Democrat, kind of a big government kind of guy who understood that having a smaller piece of a bigger pie was probably a better deal. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, They lowered taxes and, and the economy took off. And then of course, taxes went back up again. And then in the 80s, another politician named Ronald Reagan proposed the same idea. And they lowered taxes and once again, we had this booming economy. In fact, Reagan's economy lasted about 25 years. And then once again, it was, you know, let's raise rates. Let's raise corporate rates, especially. And now we're in this third wave. So the idea that lowering corporate tax rates or even individual tax rates is going to not generate more revenue to Treasury, well, there's a lot of historical precedents to suggest otherwise. Now, there is a moment at which you could lower them to where it would hurt Treasury revenues. There's a very famous economist named Art Laffer who conceptualize this in what is referred to as the Laffer curve. But I would question if we're even close to that number yet to where we've lowered them too much. Now, of course, the challenge will be on the politicians to keep their spending in check, because every time treasury revenues go up, there's a tendency to go out and spend it even more. And we are certainly having issues with the aging of our population. We are certainly having issues with national debt and debt service, and these things take a bigger and bigger chunk of the revenue. It's been projected by the former comptroller general of the United States that in as little as two years, almost every dollar that the Treasury received is going to go towards senior entitlement spending. So that'd be Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, as well as interest on the debt. So that's going to be uh, quite interesting. But any time you allow an individual or a corporation to keep more of what is rightfully his or theirs, I think that's a very, a very positive. And we're already starting to see the repatriation of a lot of money that's been stored overseas because if it comes back into the U.S., it, get, it was going to get taxed at a very high rate. And we've already seen that money start to come back. So this is very good news in my opinion. I think that's a big reason why you saw the markets go up after the election because they were anticipating this would happen and now you'll start to see it in the expansion of the economy as well as profits. Now, other things can get in the way, but at least if we're gonna live in a vacuum and we're gonna look at this particular issue, then no, I, I I think that certainly this is a very positive thing. The second thing that that we've been seeing is economists have been talking about the impact of automation, automation in the labor market that are going to take away jobs from people. Now this is not a new phenomena. Uh, This has been around really since the industrial revolution. The idea that you would utilize machinery where you could have utilized people. But of course machinery tends to do the job faster, more efficiently more um, economically than having humans do it and so where that can be done it's tended to be very positive so you know if we think back there was a time where there were people who made horse and buggies and they made uh, buggy whips they they did that that was their craft that was their trade and then technology changed all that and while there is still a market for horse and buggies it's a very small one. here in the united states it's limited pretty much to the amish who make their own but there, you know, there is a market, it's just a very small one, but that has been replaced by a new market, which is the automobile. And so you start to see now where automation is becoming a bigger, bigger an issue. Now, the one that is very interesting to consider has to do with this driverless car technology, which is available, and it's being rolled out. And it explains why a company like Uber has been willing to lose billions and billions of dollars a year of its investors' money and not even blink an eye. If you listen to the Uber people talk, what they're really hoping for is that as this driverless technology comes out, they will no longer need to pay drivers to be Uber. They will have driverless cars do the job for them. So right now, whereas they're giving most of the, the fare to the driver, that would go away entirely. And they would be able to just, you know, you, you need a car to drive you somewhere, you, 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 know, you press the button on your phone, here comes the car, you get in, it takes you to wherever you want to go. And that car obviously can work seven days a week, 24-7, is always going to be available, you know, have service issues that need to be checked on, but by and large it's going to work out pretty economically for the folks at Uber. Now you take it another step. Think of um, the big truckers, J.B. Hunt, for example. I don't know what J.B. Hunt's payroll is to truck drivers, but I have to believe it's substantial. Imagine if all that could go away. Imagine if you could have driverless trucks. In fact, I read somewhere about 10% of all jobs have a driving component to them, or you know, driving is, the transportation aspect is, is there. Whether it be driving a truck, driving a train, driving some type of um, transportation. I mean, airplanes right now are largely done via autopilot. I mean, pilots are honest, they'll tell you, yep, we get it up in the air and then we flip it on autopilot and autopilot can even land the plane. So this is something that I could see have dramatic impact on our economy. I mean, if you got rid of drivers and cars, first you got all those jobs of people who are drivers, right? They're gone. Then you have the industries that are affected by cars and trucks. So for example, body shops. I'm gonna hazard a guess that if computers are driving the car rather than humans, accidents are gonna go down. And I I base that on the fact that, you know, humans are gonna be more apt to drink and drive. Humans are gonna be more apt to be distracted, play with their phone. None of those things are gonna be done by the computer. The computer is going to be wired in at all times. Now there can be failures with the computer. I, I get that, but I'd probably take my chances with IBM's Watson over most drivers that I see on the highway who are doing 19 different things besides driving. In fact, they not even driving at all. They're, you know, they're, it's like driving is the distraction <laughs> rather than these other things. Their, their primary purpose seems to be playing with their phone. So you could see auto body repair shops, their business going down dramatically. You would see, I know this sounds gruesome, but this is true. You would see organ donations go down. A significant percentage of organ donations are the result of a car accident. So, you know, whether it be, you know, hearts, kidneys, livers, whatever the case might be, that would go down dramatically. Lawsuits would go down, bodily injury lawsuits would go down. Now, attorneys being attorneys, they'll probably find somebody else to sue, but you know, that could be your industry. That could be my industry. So there is certainly a ripple effect that goes along with it, which I don't think that is something that's going to necessarily hurt the economy because I think that it actually will make the economy wealthier. Uh, it will certainly give people more free time and there will be people that are gonna to need to transition their jobs without a doubt. But you know, when we saw the transition from the buggy whip to the automobile, I think we'd have to argue, well, there were certainly some negatives. I think we'd have to argue there There were a lot of positives. So if you're a young person today and you are contemplating your future in terms of a career and what you should study, you have to be very careful not to lock yourself into a particular industry, but maybe focusing on certain principles that are always going to be necessary. So... You know, you hear about science, technology, education, or science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM. Very, makes sense. Definitely a a good field worth studying. Uh, My son majored in supply chain management when he was coming out of college, uh, just a couple of years ago. And I was amazed the job offer opportunities he had and still gets today. He's on his second job, second employer in two years. Largely because after the first one, another one heard about him and offered him even bigger opportunity. So he worked for the first one for a year as a consultant. Now he's working for, for a company that's a glass um, and steel packaging manufacturer. But these things are all the result of technology because with, when it comes to things like supply chain, technology has allowed them to be a lot more sophisticated in how they go about uh, with their supply chain management. So these are all changes that are happening. And yeah, I, I, they're definitely going to have an impact. As an investor, I, I, I'm not convinced it's a negative impact. It's just going to be a different impact that's likely to come. Third thing that we're seeing, and this will wrap up with this one and give you some thoughts here, is, uh, is you got several big box retail stores have been reporting bad sales numbers. And so the question here often is, does that mean that these stores are going to go away? Well, it's interesting because I can remember when Walmart was expanding and they would come into certain towns, even some big towns like Chicago. There would be all these protests. Oh, no, don't let them in. They're going to close the mom and pop shops. Now, between you and me, that was never the concern of those leading the, the marches. Uh, The ones who didn't want Walmart in were the ones who weren't happy about the fact that Walmart is not unionized and they did not want a non-union presence. That was the real motivation. I don't think that anyone gave a hoot about mom and pop shops. And the reason I say that is because if you think Walmart has hurt mom and pop, Amazon is crushing mom and pop. I mean, every time you see a UPS truck drop a package off at the mom and pop store that did not get that item. So you certainly are seeing a transition here as shoppers have become more and more accustomed to buying things online and having it delivered the very next day at no additional cost. Yeah, that is going to have a major impact on retailers. Now, I think as Americans, the shopping experience is built into our DNA. So I think you're still gonna have that because I think there's a real social aspect to shopping that people are never gonna really wanna give up fully. But there certainly are a lot of things, particularly things that you buy regularly that you would have absolutely no problem just having show up at your door. I was talking to someone not that long ago, and one of the companies that Amazon owns is called Zappos, Z-A-P-P-O-S, and you may have used them, but they sell shoes. And it's very common, particularly for younger people, when they're looking at any item, flip-flops, for example, they might order five or six pair from zappos with the intention of only keeping one <laughs> now zappos knows that so they built into the pricing uh, they also know that and therefore negotiated some very deep discounts with the shippers ups fedex etc but yeah that definitely is going to have an impact and uh, do i expect to see fewer shopping malls in the future well yeah because most of the shopping malls that here in Cincinnati are ghost towns if you've been to them. There are several that I remember when they opened, they were a big deal. There was there was one I think it's called Forest Fair now. It's over there in Fairfield. And when that opened back in the but it it've been mid to late 80s. It was a big deal because it had an amusement park in it. it had like a roller coaster and the thought was that this was going to be Cincinnati's version of the Mall of America and uh it's other than bass pro being in there i don't know much else that's even in there now i do go over there a lot because i shop at bass pro but if bass pro would ever leave well i would never go there so yeah you're definitely going to start to see some differences in the retail market but that's normal we've always seen differences in the retail market you know at one time you had you had butcher shop you had bakeries and and then grocery stores came and and included those things in now, butcher shops and bakeries still exist, but not nearly to the number that they, that they used to. They're still great. I mean, I love a butcher shop that has like prime cut meat. I mean, that's just great. They have things that the grocery store don't have, but they cater to a different clientele, and uh, they're not nearly as, as prevalent as they were. But there will be survivors, same with bakeries. Uh, there's a bakery uh, near our office called Servati's. It's excellent. If I wanted a special pie or cake, I wouldn't go to my grocery store. I'd go to Cervati's. But most of the time, my grocery store's bakery section meets my needs. So this changes that we see. We've always had them. It's easy sometimes to make a big deal about them. But usually, we find a way to work, work our way through. Yes, some people are going to get displaced. That has always been the case. And it's incumbent upon that individual then to prepare himself in going forward what I want to leave you with is that despite all these changes, there's a very strong optimistic side to them. And as investors, by owning those companies that are creating this change what we stand to do well. So while it could affect us in some ways, it can really help us in others. The quality of life that you lead today, I say this all the time, (laughs) the quality of life that you lead today, it dwarfs that of past generations. They couldn't even conceive the quality of life you have today. You know what? Probably going to say the very same thing. Your great grandchildren are probably say the same thing when they look at your quality of life compared to theirs. Now, I know sometimes it's easy to think, "Oh, it's not going to be the same for my grandkids." They've always been saying that. I mean, imagine just think of the 1940s. Imagine being a grandparent in the 1940s at the start of World War II. I mean, let's make it even more dire. Let's put you in Europe and make you Jewish okay (laughs) and try to convince yourself that the life of your great-grandchildren will be better now that was a real dire situation because you'd even wonder if you know if you're Jewish in in Europe if you would even have great-grandchildren but I think you see the point right we see the point that in the most dire of moments it's easy sometimes to have a a negative and yet unrealistic viewpoint of the future and it is, it is the likelihood that things get better over time that ultimately leads to the, the growth and wealth. And as investors, you get a piece of that. And this is another reason why you shouldn't try to get overly selective in when you invest. Because trying to time market or pick stocks is not an exercise based on skill unless you have next week's newspaper. So instead of trying to figure out which stocks within an asset class are likely to outperform, I would suggest if you if you want to be in that asset class, you own the entire asset class. Why only own a piece of it, because you're never going to know which you're going to be the best performers within the group. So remember, history has shown us time and time again, that bad news happens. Bad news is the norm. But good news happens too. And the absence of bad news is, is also good news. So be a realist about the future, therefore be optimistic about the future and focus on the things in your life that you really can focus on. So I hope that helps. Three recent things that were in the headlines, they're not done being in the headlines. We'll hear more of it going forward, but keep your perspective, look at the big picture, and understand that there's always another side to the story because certainly we don't want to rely upon our, our mainstream media for the only source of information. There was a time we could do that, but uh, I hazard a guess that is that is gone. And, and that comes from somebody who was a journalism undergraduate. So I told you earlier about me telling somebody to go and study psychology if they wanted to be a financial advisor. Well, I, I studied journalism. So, and it's amazing because the coursework that I took is not what is practiced today in the mainstream media. So until next time, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, If you ever want to reach out, you ever have questions, feel free. You can always email me, dan at mattsonandcapril.com, or feel free to call our office, 513-563-7526. Don't forget our website, www.matsonandcapril.com, or you can even just type in dancapril.com, and that'll get you there as well. If, uh, if you've never ordered a copy of our Retirement Rescue Toolkit, Go to the website, and you'll see the opportunity to do that. It's a great kit. It's loaded with very useful information on how to position your, your retirement, try to minimize um, a lot of the threats, especially taxation, and actually get you to a point where perhaps you could have a tax-free retirement. Until next time, this is Dan Capril, and thank you for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit MatsonandCapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of NPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.